You're listening to FileMaker Off the Record. Hi there. This is Teresa Heistant. And Thomas Makwa. From Profile Developers. And this is... Episode 3. Yes. <laughs> so tonight we are going to talk about scripting. There is a scripting deep dive workshop coming up here in Pittsburgh in the next couple weeks. Our own Thomas Makwa will be co-teaching this workshop. Along with Cross IT, Profile Developers is doing a deep dive scripting class. It will be June 5th, 2018 in the Pittsburgh area. So if you're there and it's still before June 5th, consider coming. Okay, so scripting. So coming, uh, now that if you're dealing with FileMaker 17, but even if you're in an older version and dealing with FileMaker Pro Advanced, Mm -hmm. they give you a couple tools right off the bat, which are incredibly difficult to program without Yes, I agree. (laughs) That would be the debugger and the data viewer. Yes. And why don't you talk about those a little bit? So like you said, it's I found the idea of working with FileMaker and developing in FileMaker without the debugger and the data viewer to be a painful process. I like to write scripts kind of quickly. And, you know, as it's in my head, I might write the comments say this script is going to do the following things one two three it will start on this layout and it will do you know blah 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 and then i just like to start and now i've been scripting for quite a while not as long as you but it's more than 10 years now so i like to think that i know my way around the uh, scripting workspace but when you write quickly and you just you have this narrative that you're going through it's going to go to this layout. It's going to go into find mode. It's going to set these three fields, perform find, and then go to first record, loop, bang, 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 bang. And then, of course, you know, the first thing you do after that, you save it and then you run it, right? Right away. <laughs> of course. Without the debugger. No, I'm kidding. So that's the worst idea ever. Having the data viewer available, uh, one of the things I like to do with that is I'll write uh, and execute SQL, like in my script, set variable, execute SQL, and I'll write something out. And I think to myself, oh, I wonder if that's going to give me a value. <laughs> so I will copy that, save the script, jump to the data viewer, get to the context that my script should be running in, drop that in uh, as one of the watched items, and check it, walk through some of the records, make sure they give me a value. I will inevitably run into one of the, a record where it's wrong, so I need to tweak it. For example, something I did the other day where the values that I was looking for were first name and last name, and so in some of the records, there was a first name and a last name, and in some of the records, there was a first name and a middle initial and a last name. You know, I wrote it first, not expecting the middle initial, and then as I went through the debugger, stepping through the records, watching the script uh, execute, I found, oh, that's wrong. You can halt everything, go back to the script, fix your couple lines, add your error checking, add in the things that you missed that you didn't think of, and then run it again through the debugger, watching the values in the data viewer, watching every step you take. I can't even wrap my head around writing scripts without the debugger or the data viewer. The only scripts are things like go to layout, (laughs) sort records, things that are non-destructive, things that 
are not going to create rogue items, but it would be scary, the debugger. And most of the things that we do, we couldn't use the debugger yeah. or couldn't develop without using the debugger. Right. And any scripts that do any creation, especially of related records, if they're going to the last portal row and setting a field and mm -hmm. gets stuck in a loop and suddenly you have 10,000 related records created. Or I've done that before. Even worse, it's deleting with... Well, cascading well, deletes. Cascading deletes yeah. or a loop that goes to a record, checks some validity. Mm -hmm. If that comes back invalid, delete record and then continue through that right. loop. Well, if the go to related records didn't work. Right, then you every you're validation is going to fail your, and yeah. you'll delete. Yeah, everything. if you're in the wrong context and you don't and you never realize it that you can miss one very important step like return to the other window, you know, anything small like that can completely mess up. So I think the big the takeaway here is if you are an in-house developer mm -hmm. and you're currently working with FileMaker Pro because you're not on 17 yet, Mm -hmm. Stop doing that. Right, and, <laughs> and get, upgrade to advanced. Upgrade to advanced. But luckily, since 17, that's no longer an issue. Right. Some other tools that are available third-party that I find extremely useful, uh, the MBS plugin, which is Monkey Bread Software mm -hmm. plugin, which is a plugin that has some 4,000 functions yeah, included in it. Yeah, crazy amount. It also has a number of developer assist pieces to it. Before FileMaker came to its senses and put line numbers in the scripts, mm -hmm. MBS already had it. So you could reference line numbers when doing development, which is extremely useful. Mm -hmm. How long has MBS been around? As long as I can remember. Okay. It's just... I, I, and they just keep growing and growing it, and adding more functions and adding more yeah. pieces and adding more... And they have good documentation. They have excellent documentation. They have an excellent website that explains how to use every function. A lot of the plugins, if you're using the calculation engine to select the functions that the plugins offer, they'll usually show all of those functions. So a plugin like uh, Dacon's Mailit okay. has... You can set up the servers and you can send mail, right. whatever all the functions are. So there's a, there is a function available to use each of those. In MBS, there's only one function, which is MBS, and everything is in the parameter. You only need to call one function from the plugin, but then it's in how you write that right. that it can do all of these amazing things. Some of them are, it's just remarkable what all it can do. Yeah, because some of the items are, it's, it's manipulating things within FileMaker and other things are system level. Yeah, right. It's, it's internal, so external. So the Monkey Bread software had color coding within your scripting before FileMaker had it. Had, like I said, it had line numbering before. Mm -hmm. It has searching within that puts a search field in your script workspace so that you type in set variable in the search and every set every line that has a set variable will highlight, highlight. Mm -hmm. uh, that works great you know put in a variable name and you can find all the references to the variable mm -hmm. so it has a number that's just that's a very small piece of what it does but it has a number of things for developers that are just great another one that i've been using for an awful long time that i promote is dracovention's developer assistant which is a plugin that gives you global searching. You can click in your list of scripts, type in anything, mm -hmm. and do a search, and it'll walk through every line of every script. And, and deeply, if you are searching for a field name, and the field name is used within a sort of a script step, mm -hmm. that stuff doesn't show up 
it, just whenever you're looking, you know, sort just shows the fact that it's sorting right. and that it's preset. But Draco Ventions, the uh, developer assistant, will search and stop there to highlight that, yep, you did reference this field in this script step. That's cool. Again, looking for that, it'll, it also has an option to just stop every time it finds an error, a missing reference, or mm -hmm. if a field gets deleted and was referenced somewhere, or a layout, or anything like that. And it'll, it will stop and highlight that so that you can fix your scripts without dealing with going to the, DD, you know, running a DDR and mm -hmm. either running that through an analyzer or using something like FM Perception mm -hmm. to find the issues. It's fast and effective. I, I just think that those couple of tools alone are, they're, they're both well worth the price for the amount of time that they can save you. And is the developer assistant, is that the one where you can highlight something and have it evaluate on the fly without having to use the data viewer? Yeah, anytime that you're is... in a calculation, that you're using the FileMaker calculation engine, mm -hmm. you can click inside that field where you're writing the calculation and hit evaluate, and it will evaluate immediately. It does need the context, depending on what you're writing. If it's purely unrelated, like an yeah. execute SQL that doesn't reference anything, right. it doesn't matter where you're at. But if it is referencing something, you know, mm -hmm. you, you need to be on that layout. Okay. But it saves the step of having to create, you know, go into the data view or right. create a new, you know, open up the window and paste something in. You can just highlight it. You can just it, highlight it and evaluate, evaluate on the side. And it, and it also works if you are using the debugger, mm -hmm. running a script, and you pause the script, open up the script, open up a calculation within it, the evaluate will work there too. And you can even just highlight a piece of the calculation. Okay. So if you have a variable referenced, of course that shows up in the data viewer, mm -hmm. but if you have, maybe you have a thousand variables for some reason created and it's hard to find the one you want, you can highlight just the variable name to evaluate and it'll show you the value of the variable. Okay. But it'll also do any other calculations. You can actually kind of play with the numbers there. Again, without, if you're not in a position where the data viewer is mm -hmm. accessible, that's the nice thing about that. Yeah, I don't use those things, and they sound useful. They can they can seriously save development time, and mm -hmm. especially looking for issues. Well, and, well, like you said, you know, if you you know you referenced this field, say it's something a value is occurring in a field that shouldn't be, and you need to figure out how, why. I don't remember. I have a hundred scripts in this solution, and I'm not going to sit here and. Uh, look through everyone. And the developer assistant, a nice thing about that, it also lets you search through all your fields. If you have fields that are calculated, again, it searches through every bit. So you just select define database, select your table, click in the field section, and it'll march through every field searching for whatever you, you want. It'll yeah. also do that in layouts if you're looking for a layout name. Now we have filters in a lot of these places now, so it's not as much an issue in those areas, but it's it works. It's a, it really is a fantastic tool. In scripting, another thing that's done extremely often, I'm sure everybody, even the beginners are doing this, you're... Scripted searches. Scripted searches. So go to a layout, perform some, some kind of a search. Mode, and set fields. Right perform the find and so how do you do a basic search script how i do basic search scripts is just as we were just saying you know go to layout enter find mode and then i will set the fields and i like to break them out uh, i know some people like to bundle them up into into the perform find script step but i like to 
break them out so that you can see what's going on. Because in so many cases, when you're going back and reviewing history and you're saying, what, what, what is this list again? What am I trying to get? And uh, by breakout, you mean enter, there's a step fields. for enter find mode, a step, a step for, for set, set field, field, set field, set field. Right. For every field that's set, you see exactly what's going on. And then the perform find has no, nothing extra to it. It's just a raw perform find. Yeah, I have a tendency to pile everything up in the perform find where it can't be seen just because I like how it compresses the script down. I agree that breaking everything out is probably a better move, especially for troubleshooting down the line or handing the solution off to another developer or something like that. And do you comment out your search so that you can let someone know at a glance what it is that yeah. what, what so you're instead setting? of that's what I'll do instead of having the set field set field, I'll have one or two lines of comments that describe what the search is doing. Sometimes it's very easy searching for all customers with active invoices. Mm -hmm. Just say it that way, even though to do that, maybe it's creating two separate finds, searching different mm -hmm. things. And again, I, I just like it because it's, it's a lot more mm -hmm. compressed. And to me, that makes the script actually easier to read because I see what the find is doing. I right. read the description of what the find is doing. It happens and then move on. So if there's an issue, I can open up and and, and dig into it. Dig into it there. I don't think that it's critical to have all that broken out, but I absolutely get why a lot mm -hmm. of developers prefer to do it that way. Another thing that people, even beginning developers, probably have scripts for are things like sorting a found set. So after you do your search, you need to sort in most cases, and if you're not using Table View, you need to build some sortable headers, so a script that will that you can click on the name, the label of the name column, and then that will sort ascending or descending. And there's a couple different ways that you could do that. Yeah, I th the, the one thing I like about that in a list view that you can click the header in order to sort is that that is how it works in a lot of other applications. It feels in the Apple Finder, it works that way. Yeah. And it seems natural. It's also common to click a header to have it sort ascending, click the same header again to have it flip the sort and mm -hmm. sort descending. And it's client underscore A. You know, it'll, it'll sort appropriately. But then if I click on the city heading, it will change double dollar sort field. What I'll often do is create a double dollar variable actually for the table that it's on or the layout. So I might have double dollar client sort would be the variable. And then the value would be whatever you're sorting by. So name ascending, name descending, city ascending, city descending. So when you click the header, it sends the parameter, the is, parameter the, is, the, is, is the the field the field that you're sorting by, mm -hmm. and it'll compare that against the value in the sort. And if it is not currently sorted by name, then it will sort automatically by name, name ascending. ascending. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the sort, it will go to the first record because, again, I think that's generally what people are expecting to have happen. I agree. So they're not jumping to the middle of the screen or something. If it's sorted ascending already, then it will switch to descending and it'll change the value in the variable to name underscore D or DSC or something like that. And that gives the user a very dynamic, a very quick and a, and a natural something that they don't have to go learn because it's how a lot of things work already. 
I like that for the sorting. And then I'll use different variables for different layouts because maybe you want your, your clients sorted this way, but whenever you're looking at your products list mm -hmm. that you left sorted another way, well, mm -hmm. if you have that stored, you can maintain the sort. Right. Or if you have multiple windows open or something yeah. along those lines. Right. Um, the one thing that I don't like about that is that that script, depending on how many in your list view, how many uh, fields you have available to sort, that can be a long script. <laughs> it can <laughs> With, be. But it, it's repetitive. And once you do one, you can just kind of copy and paste and modify lightly the rest of it. It's all based on the parameter. But then you do have to go into each sort step and make, because that's going to be, uh, because we, we because we cannot dynamically control a sort, until which we can, may be in the next version, Until we'll we that. can sort by name, which would be nice, then we could massively right, shorten because, well, the script. Right, because then the script would be six lines. Right. <laughs> but until then, you would have a chunk of script for each script parameter passed with its own custom sort for each section. Right. For each field, there would be a little section of the script that says, you know, if the script parameter equals name, mm -hmm. then check to see if the script parameter equals the name with ascending. Mm -hmm. If the existing, I'm sorry, if the existing variable equals the name with ascending, then sort by descending, otherwise mm -hmm. sort by ascending. Mm -hmm. And the, you just have a whole bunch of chunks like that, right. depending on how many fields you have. And another thing that I, as of late, have liked to add to those sorting, uh, to that sort script in particular is to also include a display sort, so a double dollar display sort, to put on the layout to let the user know what it is sorted by in case they forgot what they clicked, because I think that's a useful piece of information. Well, we've done that, and then we've also done the little arrows as icons, and mm -hmm. the button bars make it even a little bit easier mm -hmm. that you show a little icon next to each of the header names. Mm -hmm. And that will highlight based on if that's using the sort. You can even have the little triangle mm -hmm. flip based on ascending and descending. And use that as a visual guide to know that this is already sorted. Right. And I also uh, will also roll in some conditional formatting for the column header so that it might be bold, it might change color, there's some kind of other highlight that will be incorporated that looks at that sort field. Yeah. Lots of things you can do to help the user. Right. That's the fun stuff. Right. <laughs> So whenever you're passing the script parameters, we've changed how we passed parameters over the years. Mm -hmm. And starting with FileMaker 16, FileMaker now includes some JSON functions. Right. If you're not familiar with JSON, I recommend reading FileMakers. Right. Becoming familiar with JSON. Yeah, it's a very commonly used standard. Well, because that's been around for web for decades yeah right and um, one of the nicest things about json is that it's so easy to read having because uh, json is name value pair and it's just dead simple to know exactly what it is you're looking at and you can pass any type of information and the formatting doesn't matter because the json get element script step will like, so you, you can send data in a script parameter with spaces or anything you want and it will take care of it. You don't have to worry about how your parameters come across. They don't break as easily. Yeah, FileMaker, the way it's designed is that you can technically only send a single parameter. Mm -hmm. So you would have to come up with ways to make multiple parameters. And what was very common before, at least the way we used to do it, mm -hmm. was a return delimited list and each line was a different parameter. All right, so in the script parameter, you would say John ampersand pilcrow ampersand 
band. I did that know, for a long address. time. So that was the first yeah. way to do it. Sometimes and, I would use the list. Once we got the list function, mm-hmm. I might do it in the list function. And then you had to make sure that you sent the parameters in the proper order. And if there was any reason to have returns in the parameters, you had to substitute those out and then put them back in. Lots of it, problems. It worked, but lots, <laughs> lots of problems. It was very... You had to be careful. Felt very kludgy. Mm-hmm. Sending them as JSON works. Oh, it's, it's much, much better. And it seems to be a standard that the FileMaker developers in general are very much embracing. Mm-hmm. I'm real pleased with that. And learning the JSON was not difficult. Right. Like um, you said, it's very easy to read. It's like XML done right. XML right. so it, annoying to work with and JSON's not. Right. It's, uh, in my opinion, it's harder to use the JSON set element script set. Like that's longer than the actual data. <laughs> so well, <laughs> that, because you have to define the elements, you know, for the, the type, that just feels so much bigger than writing out JSON raw. Sure. But that's the way to make it dynamic. So, which which actually takes to the script naming. Whenever we were passing parameters previously, I didn't send them as name value pairs. Again, a lot of developers did. Mm-hmm. They had been doing that for a while. Well, you had a special function. But I had... You're cu- you have a custom function. I have a custom function. I liked my scripts to be named as the same as functions. So my script names are script name, parentheses, or I think brackets. I was using brackets or mm-hmm. curly brackets, and then list out all of the parameters that it's expecting. And that was useful for anybody looking at the script because they get a sense of, oh, it's expecting a name and an ID and a type, right. you know, so that... So I think that actually makes it easier down the road for new developers coming in. So, you know, if, if someone else is going to be touching this solution, which is inevitably going to happen, mm-hmm. that they can see if they're selecting a script to run from a button, they can see immediately that needs it needs parameters and, and I know which ones they are. I do like that kind of naming. And then the function, the custom function that I had would read the parameter names in the script name using the get script name function and match those up with however the parameters are being passed in in order. So the first named parameter in the script name would grab parameter number one and assign it to and would create a single dollar variable so that in your script when you were writing you only had to reference that single dollar variable. Mm-hmm. And you could always reference to the name of the script to see what variables were available. Mm-hmm. So everything was in plain sight, even though exploding the parameters into those variables all happened in a single line. I believe it's still pretty easy to read and tell what's going on because you know all the variables that you have available because they're right there in the script name. And you can't work on a script without seeing the script name. The worst thing I think that would happen when using that method is when you needed to pass a uh, bunch of values. Yeah, it had its drawbacks. Right. So in a, in a situation where we have a card window pop up and it's got a bunch of global fields because we want people to enter in data and then there's a save button. And then when they save, it's going to pull all the values values from those global fields and then go create the record in the appropriate tables. And so if then we're passing all 10 (laughs) fields, you know, with all 10 values, the script name can get super long unless we, I mean, you can go in your variables and say that it's I, A, B, C, and it's like the first letter of what it is as opposed to what it is, but then that makes it not readable. So, you know, I think the biggest drawback. Yeah. What we're doing now, because we are using JSON to pass the parameters, the script names still have the names of the parameters within the name of the script, same as it was before. It's just they're not what's used to create the variables. And we can now, depends how we want to do it, but Mm -hmm. I think a practical way 
way is to then set each variable in a line at the top of the script, grabbing the name so pooling, parameter. So pulling the variable creation out of the custom function and putting it back into Putting it back into the script, and the script. Re so that they are listed out. Mm -hmm. So that makes the script a little longer, but it makes it a little more readable mm -hmm. and helps a developer that's not as familiar with the solution or, or as familiar with our development style. Makes it more straightforward, and I think that that will be a good way to go going right. down the road. Right, and so in some... And we'll see at the next DevCon what... <laughs> what people oh, are doing. Oh yeah, what people are doing with it. So one of the things that I think is just a, a dead simple application with that is say say that you have a FileMaker solution that is hooked up to a WordPress API to get record information. If you pull that record data in as the script parameter for create new sale and that you, you don't have to do anything other than pull that structure in and your script can parse that without having to, it kind of saves you a step of having to go and get it and unpack it. You already have it there. And now with JSON get element, you can just have it grab all of those pieces and, and create your variables or set your fields from the script parameter in a structure that is how everybody on the web is sharing data via APIs. So it's already done. <laughs> yeah. So then the last thing we were going to kind of mention was error trapping. Mm -hmm. uh, when you're writing scripts, it's extremely important. Yes. One of the most important and early on in development, it's a very often overlooked item. Right. Yeah. If get last error without any thought to what that might be or what just, you know, if get last error, stop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Halt the script, uh, you know, exit, go back to where you started and start over again. Yeah, so you've been beefing up your error trapping. I know sometimes you'll reference a line number in a script. Since, well, I started doing that just whenever I had the line numbers from MBS, but now that we have them and everyone has them, I'll put either in the error dialog that comes up, and, and this very much depends on who the users are and right. well, in, what in the solution of, is written for. But Yeah, a lot of times it's for a process that's kind of under construction. So you have something where there might be an import, there might be, there's, there's some kind of uh, background process going on where the user isn't hands-on and they just need to give you a call and let you know that this isn't working all the time, I keep getting this error message. And then you know to go to line 75 in such and such script if they in can, order to fix They it. can say the error I got. If said my errors are generally written mostly in English. Mm -hmm. So the error would be couldn't complete this process. Please contact right. the developer. And then I might just for brevity list the script number, which again, the MBS plugin will, will show you the list script numbers. It could be script 123, line 74. So it's easy for them to convey to me where what, to go. Where to go. As long as they read their dialogue. Yeah. Or if they take a <laughs> screenshot of it. Right. Then I can more easily track down you know, what went wrong where. Another thing I'll do is if it's a long process that not every step needs to be successful, I'll have, I have a script that does a bunch of imports and there's times that certain tables don't have any data to import. So when it goes and looks for the data, it performs a find and gets a 401 error or for whatever reason, then that script can return an error, get stored in a variable and let those pile up as the script runs. And at the end, I can have a dialogue come up if 
it's practical to and say import complete with three tables numbers. yeah three tables were imported with x number and these tables were not imported because there was nothing to mm-hmm. you know, something along those lines and also that can be written to a log somewhere mm-hmm. yeah I, li- I like to do that with a system log for imports you know beginning import uh okay i'll have a, the script parameter for the create system log has the the type the error the details and then you know whatever another some other parameter and it just throws all that into the parameter when sending it and I'll do that at the beginning before an import process after an import process anywhere I need to be able to look back and say okay well the errors will stack maybe files didn't get deleted that were supposed to but a lot of server-side processes uh, I like to put those in the system log. System logs are staggeringly useful. Mm -hmm. Well that's all I really wanted to talk about a little thing about scripting I hope that's helped some people. Mm -hmm. If any anyone is actually <laughs> listening and wants to comment or ask us a question or complain about something that we've said because we <laughs> might get things wrong once in a while. Every now and then. You can send us an email at offtherecord at profiledevelopers.com and you can find these podcasts they're also on our website profiledevelopers.com under the blog Mm -hmm. they're listed there and we will have show notes in this one with links to the plugins that we talked about and if there's anything else i think of when when i post it the workshop ah and and the workshop workshop. uh, there that will be in the show notes yes i'll put a link to the registration for the workshop well thank you for listening thanks we'll see you next time